Good morning. Now, several of you have asked, are we doing living nativity? Um, no, not this year because of all the construction, the difficulty in parking. Uh, so we are not doing living nativity. Other plans are coming. Make sure you're here for Christmas Eve, but uh, no living nativity. But this is a, certainly a season for us to celebrate with or without live animals. We can do it, can we not? We're still family. We can still do it. It's a tradition we've been doing. Um, it's a time for giving. And a gift that God has given to us is a gift of the sins coming and uh, uh, going to leave from us with some of you to go and to advance Christ's kingdom. It's a gift to a church that reminds us that it's not just all about us, that we have a plan. And they've been running an uh, insert in the bulletin that they, uh, starting in January, really need you and me to help be a part of that, even just with child care. There's like a seven-week stint where they're going to be going over the DNA, the core values of the church. And Eli Moore, where are you, Eli? Eli Moore uh, is here, or the sins are over in this way. If you could help out with that, it would really be a blessing to them. It's child care. I believe it's Sunday evening. Is that correct? So what a great way for us to bless our brothers and sisters and help this uh, plant uh, get off to a great start. Also, as you know, uh, if you look in the bulletin, December is the time uh, that the church relies heavily uh, on you to respond to what Christ has done. It's a big uh, month for us, a big carrot. God has always been faithful. I know he will be. So will you please uh, do your part to make sure our December is all we need it to be. But as we turn that corner, would you join your hearts in prayer with me? Can we please pray together? Father, with that song that Cindy and Vicki just sung, still fresh in my ears. It's still fresh in my mind. It's just amazing. It's a really, it's a story too good to be true that your son would come and for our grief and our pain, he would give us gain and give us life. He'd give us joy. And Father, it's this time of year where the world sometimes gets so heavy. It's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. It's supposed to be filled with the awe and wonder of a child. And a child who would be born king. But God, it's oftentimes this time of year where the busyness and the worldliness just crowd in. And just take away a lot of that joy to the world. And all we're left with oftentimes is sorrow and heaviness. So God, we're thankful that we can come and gather in your house and sing these songs. And be reminded of the reality and the truth that Emmanuel has come, God in flesh, to live with us and to rescue us. And Father, I so acknowledge that the story of Jesus, your only begotten Son, is such an incredible story that I don't have words to tell it. And God, we need to hear it. We need to hear it in its glory and in the full weight, the full beauty. So God, would you come, would you touch a sinner's lips? Would you allow me to speak the good news of Christ? Not for me, but for the beauty and the glory of your Son. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. For to us a child is given, for to us a son is born. That is what Isaiah, a prophet some 700 years before the birth of Christ, would tell us. That we would be given a gift. A gift of a child. A gift of a son. What kind of gift is that? Why do we need a child? Why do we need God's provision of 
a son. What's interesting is we read through Scripture, we realize that God has set his love upon those uh, before time began that he wanted to call his son. But the sons of God have rebelled and turned against him. But there's one son. There's such good news this morning. There's one son, God's special, unique, only begotten son in whom the father has always been, always will be, and forever has been pleased with. God has sent to us his only begotten beloved son. Listen, Christmas is this story. It's that God would so love the world that he would send a son that he delights into us in whom he has no reason to love or delight in. Christmas is an incredible story of this relationship between God the Father and God the Son and this eternal delight that they both share and how we, by God's grace, can share in the delight of the Father that he has for the Son. You see, for us to fully get this Christmas story, we have to fully understand how much delight Jesus, an obedient Son, brought to the Father. And unbelievably, how we, by God's grace, can have a part of that delight. For us to enter into God's pleasure, the only way we could ever know the pleasure of God, the only way we can know the fellowship of God, the only way we can have peace on earth and goodwill to men, is if God would provide us a heavenly Son who would come and usher that in for us. Because all of the earthly sons of God have failed. We've been talking about this in the sermon series, As Far As the Curse Is Found. Those whom God even has chosen to love with a special love, they've rebelled. And instead of finding peace on earth, instead of Eden being advanced throughout the entire world, that curse has been found. And all the sons of God did nothing to turn the tide of this curse. Only God's own son could do that. Let's look. We're going to look at a couple of passages this morning. The first one is in Exodus chapter 4. And this is a, the scene is this, as Moses has been commissioned by God to go and to go tell the most powerful man in the entire world to let God's people go. God has given Moses an incredible calling. He's given him a incredible privilege of God's very own name. And also we'll turn to what Jesus has done, giving us the privilege of giving us God's name himself. So let's look at God's word together. Exodus 4, verses 21 through 23. And then we'll look at Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. Let's be mindful that this is, whether we're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, God's holy word. Exodus 4, 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt... See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. What an incredible title. What an incredible title for a people to be called God's son. And I say to you, he's saying to Pharaoh, let my son go, that he may serve me, God tells Moses to say. Let my son go, that he may serve me, not you, Pharaoh. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Reading through the Exodus story, we know that Pharaoh's own sin, and God used that sin to harden his heart, and the firstborn son was killed for that 
passage out of slavery to take place. And then we turn to Galatians 4, verse 4 through 7. says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray again. Father God, what an incredible story that those who were enslaved to sin Deserving your wrath and displeasure through the death of a son, through the death of your son, can receive your pleasure and your sonship. Oh, Father, give us ears to hear this good news. And God, may it fill our minds and our hearts with such joy that our lives will be radically changed and we will walk in obedience as your children. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who is yet to fully understand what it means that Jesus would come to live and die and be resurrected here for us, God, may that gift of Christmas be heard this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Is there any pain like a rebellious son? Some of you were rebellious sons or daughters. Some of you still may be rebellious sons and daughters and quit it because you're causing great pain to your family. Stop it. But how about you parents? How about you that know the pain of a rebellious son or rebellious daughter? Is there anything quite like it? I mean, the ones that you know and love, the ones that you saw grow up in your midst, the ones you named, the ones you spent your hard-earned money trying to clothe and educate and do those things, and then to see him turn from you and to see him basically treat you as if you didn't exist and throw away your family name or at least trash it and live any way they want to live. Is there any real pain like the pain of a rebellious son or daughter? See, God knows that pain. He knows the pain of, of watching those he loves turn in rebellion and basically treat him like He didn't exist. It starts with Adam. I mean, Adam is created in God's image. I mean, God created all things to tell his story. And unbelievably, of all the things God created, Adam was so special because Adam reflected who God was. Adam was created to know and to love and to serve God and walk in paradise with him. Adam had an unbroken relationship with God because of sin. He had paradise. He had a woman that was given to him that was made from his own substance. Adam had it all. And Adam is called a son of God. It's interesting, if we look through the gospel accounts, both Matthew and Luke will tell us the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew begins in his gospel. Matthew 1 begins. And it really is going to start with uh, Father Abraham. It's going to start with Abraham, and it's going to lead us down to Jesus to say, this is the real promised son. But when we get to Luke, Luke 3 also tells us uh, the genealogy of Jesus. And why is this important? Because it connects all the dots. 
And it tells us of this incredible love that God has for us. But if you look at Luke, Luke begins with Jesus in Luke 3. And he's going to go all the way through and he's going to connect every dot down to the first man God ever created, Adam. And here's what it says about him. Adam, son of God. Adam was that son. As he was created in God's image, God placed a special love on him. God gave him a a great uh, place to live where God and man would dwell together. But Adam rebelled. Adam basically treated God as if he didn't exist. He basically says, God, I want to do it my own way. I want to live my own way. And, And God had that first taste and that first son that he created of rebellion. He had that first taste of the son that would basically say, forget it, Dad. I want to do it my own way. And that sin brought on death and it disqualified himself. And you know what God had to basically do? God had to basically kick him out of the house. Because God is holy. He's without sin. And and he's so pure, he can't even look at sin. And so he had to drive him out of the garden. And say, you can't come back here no more. And the story really could go this way. We could close the book and say, God had every right. He made man. He showed him love. He made him in his own image. And we rebelled. And God could have said, it's over. All you deserve is curses. All you deserve is death. I'm going to leave you alone. But the rest of the Bible story is an incredible story about a God who loves rebels like us so much. He's not going to let us go. See, God wants to love us like a father and a son. He wants us to have that experience to be able to call him Abba, Father. And even when we disqualify ourselves from the family name, even when we deserve his wrath and displeasure, this God of ours is such a loving God, he's going to pursue sinners like us. And although Adam was kicked out of the house, God didn't let the family go. He raised up men of faith, and we've looked at Noah, and we've now gotten to Moses. And we get to the point of, here's Moses. And through Moses, God's going to call this whole nation my firstborn son. But they too, like Adam, are rebellious. They too are basically going to say, God, we want to go our own way. And here's a God who would come, and he works such incredible miracles, and he's going he's to free his son from bondage. Now listen, this is important stuff. You can't miss this, because really, it's all a picture of Jesus. We, we can't look at this story and say, wow, that's a story of God leading his people. I mean, through the Red Sea thing, that's a pretty cool deal. Really, when we see this story through the lenses of Christ, we realize the story's for us. That's what Christ has done for us. But we get to this firstborn son, Israel, and he too was uh, called God's son. And he was tested like uh, Adam was tested. Where was Adam tested? He was tested in paradise. Adam had everything going for him. Adam had every reason to obey God. He was made holy without sin. And yet still he chose to rebel. And so now the consequences of that sin and curse have been passed on. And even when he comes to uh, the nation of Israel and says, this is my son, they now are feeling the effects of that curse. And God says, I'm going to leave you out of slavery. I'm going to bring you to myself, but I'm also going to test you. I'm going to test you in the desert. And we're going to see if you're going to act like my firstborn son. Turn with me to to, uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8, we're going to look at the first few verses. Now again, let's get the picture right. You got Adam. And Adam is called son of God, and Adam rebels against God, deserves his displeasure, and he's kicked out of his house, Eden. You got Israel, 
Israel is called the firstborn son of God. God relieves them out of slavery, brings them into the desert, and they too are going to have a time of testing. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3 says this. Moses is speaking, saying, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. Remember last week we looked at Noah, this incredible prophet of God who spoke face to face with God. Uh, I say Noah? Moses, sorry. Uh, Moses who spoke face to face with God. Moses who was given the Torah. Uh, They looked at the commandments as the way, the truth, and the life. But we know that Jesus is ultimately the way, the truth, and the life. And now Moses is telling them, you're out of slavery. God has done incredible signs and wonders. Unbelievably, your firstborn sons live. The Egyptians don't. Unbelievably, we've passed through the waters and the waters of judgment have crushed the Egyptians. Unbelievably, now, as his son, let's be obedient. Look what God has done. Look what God has done for us. Let's be obedient. And he says, the whole commandments that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. You may live and multiply and go uh, in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Now remember these 40 years in the wilderness. It's important. We're going to come back to that. That he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Here's what God's saying. Israel, I'm loving you like no other nation in the entire world. I'm doing signs and wonders to release you out of slavery. I'm going to bring you into this promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. But you're going to have a time of testing. You're going to be in the wilderness, and it's going to be 40 years of wandering. But those 40 years are going to reveal what's really in your heart. God's saying this. You're my son. Are you going to act like my son? Are you going to follow me? In verse 3, and he, humbled, uh, and he humbled you, and he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know. This is bread from heaven, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you known that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You read that and you say, okay, what's significant about that? Wow, there's so much that's significant about that. You see, here's, here's Israel called my firstborn son. First uh, in importance. But they're in the desert. They're in the wilderness. They rebelled. They complained. They grumbled. They didn't act like sons. I mean, Moses himself, this one who spoke face to face with God, he, he would bang that rock instead of speaking into it as God had told, clearly told him. And he would disqualify himself from the promised land. Here's Moses not making it to the promised land. And eventually, what about that firstborn son, Israel? Eventually, yes, they'd go into the promised land, but guess what their sin would do? Drive them into exile. Does God know what it feels like to have a rebellious son? Why did God send us a son? Why did he give us a child? Because every earthly son failed. And he had to have a son who was faithful. Because every earthly son did not obtain for us that sonship that we long for. Every earthly son and his failure were still in sin and bondage. We still don't know our identity apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, we're going to serve the wrong masters. But then comes Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew 
uh, Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew 3, something very significant happens. Uh, To fulfill the requirements of the law, Jesus, God's unique, only begotten Son, the uncreated one, goes to John John the Baptist, and there he is baptized. As he is baptized, we see an incredible picture of the Trinity. We hear, uh, we see Jesus, the Son of God, being baptized. Uh, uh, the Holy Spirit is seen like a dove descending from heaven, filling Jesus. And we hear this voice, this voice from heaven. It says basically this, this is, this is the one, this is my Son. This is the one in whom I am well pleased. Now echo that through your mind. Having God said, Adam is my son. And man, he was a disappointment. Israel, my firstborn son. And man, did he rebel. But here comes Jesus. The word made flesh. This is the one. This is my son in whom I greatly delight. And it's so important because Christmas is a celebration that that delight can be ours. And then we get, right after he's baptized, we get this, uh, this testing in the wilderness. And look with me in Matthew chapter 4. After he was baptized, Matthew 4, 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. By the way, where was Israel led into to be tempted? What was it called? Wilderness. Do you see the parallel? Do you see the connection? It's amazing. It's beautiful. Okay, uh, to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, there's that 40 connecting as they spent 40 years. He was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, and this is what Satan would love to do to each of you who call yourself and know by the grace of God that you're the Son of God, wants to whisper in your ear, are you really a Christian? Are you really who you say you are? Here's what Satan said to Jesus. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, I don't expect you to get as excited as I am. That's really cool. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? Here's what Jesus is doing. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8. And remember Israel, the firstborn son in the wilderness and and failing? And and Jesus and God telling them through Moses, listen, you're not going to be able to just eat on this manna. This is not enough. You've got to really live according to the word of God. And there they were being tempted and tested in the wilderness, and they failed. But here, God says, this is my beloved son. This is the one that's not going to fail. This is the one that's going to usher in my pleasure to all of you. This is my incredible gift of Christmas that Isaiah talked about. And now you take Matthew 4 and you lay it against Deuteronomy 8 and you're blown away. You say, I get it. I get it. Yes, Adam was the son of God, but he was disqualified. Yes, I get it. Israel was the son of God, but he failed. But this is the beloved son. This is the one the father delights in. And he too was tempted and he didn't fail. And why should we say hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen? Because through his obedience... The pleasure of the Father can be given to us. And now you and I who deserve coal can be given God's love in Christ Jesus. We can obtain this sonship. Jesus, the incredible gift that he gives us. 
He did more than release us from slavery. Now here's what Moses did. He says, okay, we're going to lead you out of, the, out of slavery. God's going to take the Egyptians. He's going to judge them. And he's going to release you. God's heard your complaints. And he's going to give you an identity of sons. Being released from slavery is not enough. Listen, whatever bondage you find yourself in, and as sinners, we all run there. Whatever brokenness, whatever bondage, Jesus came to do more than just set you free. Now, if Jesus just came to set us free, man, would we have... Would we have reason to rejoice? If Jesus came and says, listen, I'm going to set you free from the penalty and the power of sin. That is incredible good news. But Jesus does more. He says, I'm going to come as the child and the son that was promised. And I'm going to come and I'm going to be obedient. Because all the sons so far have failed And through my obedience and through my death on the cross, I'm going to pay for your sins. And through the empty tomb, I'm going to conquer death. And I'm going to set you free. For those of us, by God's grace, who have been set free from the sin and the guilt of sin and the power of sin, there's no greater gift except this. He says, I'm going to give you my name. I'm going to give you my identity. I'm going to do more. I'm going to do more, Jesus says. That pleasure that the Father has for an obedient son, that declaration that that God the Father can't contain anymore, that he has to declare to the whole world that this this is my beloved son, this is it. That pleasure I'm going to share with you. You see, I'm not going to just release you from slavery. I'm going to give you a new identity. I'm going to bring you into the family. It's so much more than just being set free. It's being brought in. It's being given his name. What incredible gift Jesus has given to us. The gift of sonship. Joe Creech and some of our members right now are down in Acapulco at Casa Hogar. um, And they are taking... Those gifts that many of you, we had the privilege of giving over 300 pairs of shoes in the second year in a row. Um, that we were able to go down with huge uh, sacks full of sneakers and shoes. And all to be there and to see the kids, many of them barefoot or with, with shoes with holes in them. Given these incredible gifts. And I'm so thankful that I could picture it all because God has given me the pr- privilege of going on many of those trips to Casa Hogar of knowing many of the children, some who now are with the Lord. But there's one kid I'll never forget. There's one face I'll never forget. And and of all the sea of faces, I think the reason that his so clearly sticks out, he looks so much like my own kid, Caleb. And I couldn't help but but pick him out of the crowd. And I couldn't help but kind of love him. Because he reminded me of a son that I had at home. And I, I love being with all the kids. And of all the things we do, I go down there. Really, uh, we do a little bit of work, but we do a lot of bit of loving. And that's the real joy of it, is just being with those kids that are so longing 
for those in their life that will come and spend time with them and look them in the eye and love them and, and make them feel like they have worth. But even with this boy, I couldn't give him what he needed most. Father. I mean, one who would share his name with him. One who would really provide for him. One that would teach him all the things that a boy needs to know. One that would protect him. Why did God give us a son? So that through this son, he would give us everything we needed. That's Christmas. Through a son, God would give us everything we needed. A release from slavery, the slavery of sin. But more importantly, adoption into his family. Again, look at, look at Galatians 4. Galatians 4, 7 says this. Because of the work of Christ, you and I are no longer a slave. Praise the Lord in Christ. We're not slaves to sin. But a son, what identity And if a son, then an heir through God. Do you know who you are? Are you a child of God? Are you a son in whom the Father is well pleased because of the pleasure of Christ? You see, until you know who you are. Listen, this is is it. This is the application. Until you know who you are, you won't know what to do. I'm telling you. Until you really know who you are. You're going to spend the rest of your life trying to figure it out. You're going to try to figure it out in, the, in, in this world. Through power, through influence, through money, through relationships. Until you know who or whose you are, you will not know what to do. What God told Moses was this. Go to Pharaoh and says, say this to Pharaoh. Let my people go. My firstborn son shouldn't be serving a king of this world. They should be serving me. They got to be let they got to be let go out of slavery so they can do that which I've created them to do so they can have the delight of knowing and serving me. That's what God does for us. He says to Satan, let him go. Let them go so that they can know whose they are. Let them go so they can serve me. Let them go so they can know the delight of knowing their God. You know, we live in a society that says, go make a name for yourself. Go make it be somebody. Make a name for yourself. I, I really believe in our society, it's even harder for women than it is for men. Be all you can be. I mean, succeed in the business world, women. Succeed in the home. Make a name for yourself here and there. It's it's crazy. But until we find our core identity in Christ, until we know who we really are as Christians, we don't know really how to act. Do you know that? Let's just take a moment with that. Think about that. Is your core identity Christ? Is it really in your core that you've been set free? That you can know the Father's love? That's my beloved son. You'll have a lot of other titles in your life. You might be a banker. You might be a lawyer. You might be a teacher. You might be a student. You might be a housewife, but is your core identity Jesus? Is that really at the core? Is there any difference? Is there any split personality? 
I mean, are you acting a certain way at work in a different way at home? Are you acting a certain way at church in a different way uh, when you're with your buddies or your, your friends or your girlfriends who aren't believers? You see, Jesus Christ has come to give us a whole new identity. Not just release us from slaves, but to give us his name. To make us his sons. And so we know at the core of who we are, we're his. And we've been set free. Oh, there's such power of a name. And that's what God gives us the privilege of naming our children. So that we can uh, call to them and they can come. God has revealed to us his name. We can never name God. That's why it's so important we realize the story that Joseph and Mary weren't able to name Jesus. They were given the name Jesus because he's going to save his people. But here's the incredible truth of this story. Moses was given a unique name of God, Yahweh. And it was this name that gave him access to, the, to, to, uh, to Egypt and to Pharaoh. But God himself gives us his own name. Jesus has come so his name will be pressed upon us. Somehow Christmas stories got all out of whack. That we're told that there's a benevolent guy who comes who knows those who are naughty and those who are nice. See, that's not the Christian story. The Christian story is about a unique beloved son who would come to those who deserve coal. And this son would become coal himself, death, sin on a cross, so that we could be succumb sons. That's the Christmas story. Do you know it? Has it changed your life from the inside out? Are you living for Christ in that um, reality, in that identity? Oh, what joy of a God who would come to give us his name. Oh, what joy of a God who would come and release us from slavery. Joy to the world, we're free. Joy to the world, we're his. Joy to the world, the Father's delight is ours. Let us pray together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your unique, uncreated son, the word of God who would become flesh and dwell among us. Jesus, thank you that you were the obedient son so that we could experience the Father's delight too. All we have done on our own has been disqualified. We deserve to be thrown out of the house. We deserve coal. But instead we get love. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who may be hearing the Christmas story for the first time, understanding that Jesus came, a child was given, a son was born, so that we could be given adoption into your family. Father, I pray for anyone here who is yet to embrace Christ as as Savior, that they would realize, Father, that their sin has disqualified them from being called your son. But everything that Jesus has done and the death that he died and the resurrection that we too, by your grace, can share in the adoption of sons. Oh God, for your glory, this Christmas, if there's anyone here this morning who is yet to embrace Christ as Savior, your Son. Father, may they do so, even in these moments, confessing their need for you and embracing Jesus as Savior. Father, for the rest of us, by your grace that know the story, know that Jesus is the unique Son that has secured our place in the family. God, we can't live our lives 
the way we used to because of this. Oh, Father, I pray that our core identity would be Christian, would be in Christ, that Jesus is the one who has given us his name. Oh, what joy to the world. May we proclaim that joy in all we do and say. And it's in Christ's powerful name we pray. Amen.